And, and, and today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. I know there's a little video, but we'll do that next week. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. And, and as Jesus begins his earthly ministry, he, he gives out this incredible invitation that's extended to a couple people. And we're going to see today, really, that, that invitation gets extended even beyond these two guys that have come up in this passage. They're invited, they're invited to leave behind a life that is ordinary, a life that's comfortable, and instead, they begin to, they begin to journey with Jesus in this way that's, that goes way, breaks down their cultural norms, their spiritual norms. The, the way of Jesus is anything but common. And, and that's the invitation that these guys are going to see here. And so the big idea today, and simply where we're going, is simply this, is that Jesus invites you into an uncommon life. Jesus invites you into an uncommon life. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, it says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, and he said, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called to them too. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Anybody heard that passage before? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a pretty common passage as Jesus is starting his ministry. The question that I, that I want to start with today is simply this. Why did Jesus have disciples? Why did he have disciples? I mean, this is, this is the early stages of what's often referred to as the public ministry of Jesus. He's around 30. We don't have a lot of narrative recorded beyond his birth, an incident when he's 12 visiting the temple with his parents. And now we're introduced to Jesus through the ministry of his cousin, John the Baptist. And then Jesus makes this appearance. He's baptized by John, tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. And then shortly after that, he begins this public, he begins his public ministry. This is when this thing all starts to kick off. So why did Jesus have disciples? I mean, it didn't, didn't it make his mission harder to accomplish? I mean, if you read the story of Jesus, was it not more difficult because he had disciples? I mean, he's Jesus. These guys, I mean, think about it. I mean, if, this, if his mission was to conquer sin and death, restoring creation back into a right relationship with God, couldn't Jesus do it faster and better without disciples? He's Jesus. He's God's son. I mean, how many of you have ever discipled your kids through some activity? Anybody taught a child how to mow the lawn without losing fingers or toes? I mean, it's like, it's way easier for me to mow the lawn than it is for me to teach my kids how to mow the lawn. Anybody taught their kids how to do laundry? My wife was great at that. She had a lot of siblings. So my, my boys, by age 10, they were doing their own laundry. She even taught me how to do my laundry. I mean, she has discipled me in the art of laundry. It's amazing how good she is at training and teaching and discipling people in the art of laundry. See, but there's a lot of times we're just like, oh, here, let me do it. Let me, and we grab things away, especially as a parent, you're looking and you're like, what did you do to my yard? Well, what are you training? A child or are you worried about your yard? I mean, you got to think about what it is that you're engaged in. And here's Jesus. I mean, think about these disciples for a minute. They misunderstood Jesus' parables. 
Whenever Jesus tried to draw somebody near, what were they doing? Like, hey, get away from the guy. Jesus is too busy for you. Start, Jesus, do you want me to take care of these people? They're, they're bothering us, aren't they? They're bothering us. Jesus like, no, I am not bothered by these. That's the job I'm here for. I'm all about the people. And these disciples were just nuts. They abandoned him at the crucifixion. They went into hiding after he was killed. They weren't around when he rose from the dead. What part of this thing did Jesus need disciples? They were in the way most of the time. But God's plan was so much bigger. It was way bigger than that. And, and for Jesus, 30-some years on this earth and these three and a half years of public ministry, Jesus was stuck in one body. He was stuck in one body, one place at one time. And now, all of a sudden, when he ascends into heaven, he sends us the Holy Spirit. And Scripture says that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. And so we take that Spirit with us everywhere we go. So why disciples? Well, ultimately, it brings God's joy to use people like you and me. Can you, can you imagine that? You and I bring God joy? Huh? Anybody like, I, I mean, it's hard to fathom sometimes, but it's our privilege to be a part of it. And the, and the question then is simply this, if Jesus came today, do you think he would choose you to be one of the 12 disciples? I got kind of quiet. <laughs> I mean, what's, I mean, are you feeling that a little bit? It's like, who, me? Are you talking to me, Jesus? Are you actually inviting me into this thing? Because we all could go around the room. I'll grab the mic, and we go around the room, and everybody could give us a reason or two why Jesus shouldn't choose you. Who wants to start? I mean, really, we all could fill in the blank. Like, who, me? Why would you choose me to be one of your 12 disciples? But the question that I think we have to ask is simply this. Am I, am I willing and am I on this mission with Jesus? Am I on that mission? And if the answer is yes, then how do I do that in my everyday, ordinary, going to work, going to school, living in my neighborhood, eating, drinking, walking around life? What if something shifted? Like this is the beginning right here. What if this, this was the nucleus of the shift? But what if something shifted and the two billion people in this world who claim to be a follower of Jesus, all of a sudden, they were living, loving, and pointing people to Jesus like they were actually on a mission? Do you think that could have an impact? I think it could change the world, and so does Jesus. That's why he invites us into this. So you think about these disciples. They were a, they were a mess. They were a mess. We know some of their occupations because maybe we don't know the other half of them because it's so outrageous. But some of them are fishermen. There's a tax collector. There's a zealot we'll talk about in just a second. I mean, it sounds like the start of a joke. Here's a fisherman and a tax collector and a zealot went into the... You know, I mean, it sounds like, a, it sounds like the beginning of a joke. I mean, the fishermen, Simon and Andrew are brothers. And then we, James and John, at least four of the disciples are fishermen. What kind, of, what kind of role was that? Well, it was a role that they had no, they had limited social influence. In, in first century Palestine, uh, the key to social status was what? It was land ownership. That kind of created your, 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 your sphere of influence. 
But if you were a nomad, it was the ownership of camels and herds. Not much different today. Where do you live? What car do you drive? People that were in the trades, carpenters, fishermen, tradesmen, they usually weren't the landowners, and so they were kind of in a different, they were in the working class. So they didn't have a lot of social influence. These guys didn't necessarily have any formal higher education. The Jewish education system was made up of three levels. Think middle, elementary, middle school, high school. Ages 5 to 10, you memorize the Torah. First five books of the Bible. Who's got that down? Anyone? Genesis 1-1 maybe in the beginning. You know, I mean, ages, ages 5 to 10, you memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Huh? We are slacking. Bunch of slackers. They memorize. So that's the first stage. Ages 10 to 14, you memorize the rest of the Old Testament. In case that wasn't enough. They didn't go down to, they didn't go online and buy a Bible. There wasn't one sitting in the, in the seat back in front of them in the synagogue. They, they had to memorize this. They had no access to it. And then ages 14 and up, you would learn the, the, the years and years of commentary on the scripture and what it means and how to live it out. Who's ready to sign up for this school? I mean, we'd be flunking out in kindergarten. We, we're, we're slacking on this. And so now all of a sudden, if you were the best of the best, after all that, you were selected to be a rabbi. You were selected to go on in the education. Those who weren't selected pursued another career. These guys are fishermen. Can you see, once, now Jesus comes and he's like, hey, would you like to follow me? I'm going to offer you some higher education. They're like, okay, we will, we will, we're in, we're in on this. And then, you, and then you have a tax collector, Matthew. Another crazy, they were collaborators with Rome. They're working for the enemy. Rome was, Rome was smart in how they set things up. As their kingdom expanded, they need more money to provide services and keep people in line. Well, who's going to pay the tax? The people you conquered. And who better to collect the taxes than a chosen few collaborators who would know the kind of the lay of the land and the people. That's who Matthew is. The, the Romans let the job for each region go out to bid, and the winner of the bid is the chief tax collector. Then they hire some underlings of tax collectors. And so all of a sudden, you have this system that's, that has it set up to be kind of uh, a little bit uh, of a black market. A little bit of like, well, I'll charge you this. I owe Rome this. There's a little margin in there, huh? And so they were known to not be the most scrupulous of honest people. And so Matthew now is one of the, one of the 12. He's in this space. They were social outcasts as well because their people didn't like them because they felt like they were ripping them off. How were they often lumped? Tax collectors and prostitutes. Huh? That's, that's, your, that's your strata of society. Both of them had sold their soul. And the irony is Matthew's tax collecting booth is right by where these guys are fishing. So do you think they'd ever paid tax to it? Yeah. So now all of a sudden it's like, huh? He's on the team? He's on the team? That guy has ripped us off. And then finally you have this, you have this zealot. What in the world is a zealot? It's not even a job. It's, it's a movement of a political ground squall to push back the Romans and set up a Jewish government with the Messiah as the leader of the kingdom of God. And so now all of a sudden, the, so here, here, can you imagine the discussion between Matthew and Simon the Zealot? 
Matthew's like kind of bought himself into the Roman government. Simon's trying to do everything he can to overthrow the Roman government. And these guys are walking down the road for three and a half years with Jesus. That's half of them. That's God's plan A. That's what he intends to do. Extraordinary things through the ordinary people that he picks. And that's the invitation that he gives. And so that's the foundation. That was a lot of foundation. But now I got four quick things. It'll go, it'll go faster now for those of you that are watching the clock. But four shifts that you and I have to make to accept and to join the invitation of Jesus into this uncommon life. The first one is this. The shift goes from Jesus is part of my life, shifts to Jesus is the center of my life. How many of you have taken on Jesus as an accessory? Huh? I mean, there's a lot of times in life we accessorize ourselves with Jesus. I got the cross necklace. I've got... I got a good Bible. I mean, we just, we have the Jesus accessories. See, all of us have a list of priorities. We all have things that we consider more important than anything else in our lives. I, I mean, we could start going around the room, what's at the top? Well, maybe family's at the top. Maybe, maybe your work is in a, in a priority on the list. Perhaps church is there. Maybe, you know, and then you think about different things we prioritize, and all of a sudden, well, my family should be above my love for fantasy football. It should be. You know what I mean? But sometimes, when we, and when you, have you noticed when you have a list of priorities that they're always kind of in, in a struggle? They're always kind of like, well, that, oh, that just bumped. I got to push it back down. I got to lift this one up. And when we get in this moment of priorities, it oftentimes there's these shiftings that take place. And it seems like there's always a scramble to what's going to be at the top of the list. And we're always like, okay, Jesus should be at the top. And we just live with that. And it's like, okay, he should be at the top of the list. But when we try to put Jesus on the list, we come up with all kinds of things that tend to get in the way. And the priority list is always in this scramble mode. And I think we need to stop trying harder to make Jesus higher on our list. What did Jesus say? Jesus simply said, seek first the kingdom of God. And so when we hear that, it's like, okay, well, number one, and then we get, we get that. How about seek only? How about seek only the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added unto you? How about putting Jesus on a list of one? How about it's a first list, but there isn't a second on the list? See, so often we hear first and then we want to put in a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth. How about we just go with a list of one? How about we start with that? And oftentimes I think our view of Jesus is too small. Anybody grown up with the phrase, invite Jesus into your heart? That have been a phrase you've ever heard before? Yeah, and, and my heart is only so big. I mean, I'm not the Grinch, but I just, it's still, it's still, it's still only so big. I mean, Grinch or not, it's only so big. And it's like inviting Jesus into my heart. Have you ever pictured like just a little miniature Jesus? Like coming up to your heart and you got a little door on your heart and like, Jesus like, oh, good, a door opened, you know, and you walk yourself in and closes the door behind, and then all of a sudden, now you're living life with Jesus. You've invited Jesus into your heart. Does he seem kind of small to you? Does it seem like he may not be able to tackle some of the things that you're coming up against? Because all of a sudden, you come into some big challenge, and it's like, oh, I hope miniature Jesus can handle this, because he seems so small. But no, Jesus, I, I understand the concept, okay? So you don't, don't feel like I'm getting way off on some craziness here. 
But, but Jesus is way bigger than anything I've got going. Jesus is way bigger than any priority shuffle that I'm trying to work through. See, oftentimes what we need is we need a bigger Jesus. He's the same, and our perception, though, and our perspective and how it is that we view Jesus, we need that to be changed. See, in the time of the Greeks in Plato's day, people, people believed that the earth was the center of the universe, and that was the whole thing, and Socrates fleshed it out, this theory that the earth was stationary sphere and at the center of the universe, and everything else was attached to these layers and all this stuff. You can read about it. But as a result, our, our understanding of the universe became limited. It was tiny in our minds. And so often the math just didn't add up. It was a mess. It all changed, though, when someone finally figured out, like, hey, actually, we revolve around the sun. Uh, suddenly, our ability to grasp the universe exploded. The Earth is a planet among planets in a solar system. Ours is one of billions of solar systems in a single galaxy. And only, I mean, you, just, you can just lose your mind in all of that. But it all shifted when? It shifted when we changed the thought process of what was at the center. When, when the sun became at the center of the universe, it all of a sudden shifted our whole perspective. The same thing happens in our life when we get out of the center. Instead of Jesus inviting Jesus into our life, Jesus invites us into his life. And he was never meant to be a part. We were meant to be a part of his Jesus is coming with those simple words. What are they? Follow me. It can't be the other way around. Have you ever invited Jesus to follow you? We do it all the time. We do it all the time. Hey, Jesus, I'm heading over here. Do you want to come along? He's like, why? Well, but it's like, I'm going this way to transform the world. Would you like to come with me? Because so often what we're involved with is so small. And Jesus is like, yeah, I I can come along, but actually I'm offering you an invitation that's way bigger than me following you. I'm offering you an invitation where you can follow me and what it is that I'm up to. Paul said these words. He said, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Jesus is inviting you into his life. And if the math's not adding up, well, throw the list out and follow him. Second thought, second shift. The shift comes from Jesus sends someone else to Jesus is sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. See, there's a shift that takes place when I recognize that Jesus has invited me on his mission into this uncommon life. It's the shift that comes when I can accept and act upon the fact that Jesus is sending me versus like all of a sudden you're like, no, no, Jesus sends someone else. But I would like to suggest that Jesus' plan to, to heal this world, to make all things new, to make disciples of all nations, to preach the gospel to all creation, then it actually makes more sense for Jesus to choose all of us to go on the mission. Because this is, this is, we're limited with time and space. Going on the mission with Jesus is not a spectator sport for a few people. It's, it's, it's all of us accepting the call of being sent. I love this quote that I, that I read. It says, our motto degenerated from we are the church, here to serve a lost and broken world to what does the church have to offer me? 
This move made the pastor the only minister while making the members the only recipients of ministry. What is lost in the process is an army of healers touching the planet. See, we've turned it into spectator sport. That's not what this is about. See, when you make the shift that Jesus is sending you, several things happen. One is it's more obvious that it's about God and his grace. Grace shows up best in messy lives. Any messy lives? Good, grace is showing up because that's where it shows up best. Jesus recruited Peter at least three times. John 1, Matthew 4, Luke 5. The last time Peter fell on his knees and he said, Lord, leave me alone. I'm too much of a sinner. That's right where God wanted him to be. Sometimes we feel like God's lucky to have us. Huh? He's not that lucky. Have you looked in the mirror? He's not that lucky to have us. He, th- we've got to give up that, that thought right there. See, ultimately what happens is people get to see God's work in us. And we can live in that earthly reality of it's no longer I that lives, but what? But it's Christ who lives in me. That is the reality. So it's, it's more obvious that it's about God and his grace. We also multiply our relational impact. What happened when Jesus invited Matthew? What's the first thing he did? He threw a party. He threw a party. Who came to the party? All the sinners. All the sinners came to the party. I mean, the religious leaders were like, what in the world is this guy doing? Here's the, I love one. I think it's Luke 15. It says the, the, the notorious sinners even showed up. You know, there was the, and it's like Matthew throws a party. He didn't have to pray about meeting someone to share the message of Christ with. No, that, that was his first instinct was to go to his friends and say, hey, this is it. Come and meet my new friend, Jesus. Come and meet my new friend, Jesus. And as we choose to be sent, you and I scatter throughout this community. Think about the relational impact just in this room today. Any of you work together? Anybody work together with someone in the room? Okay. Anybody go to school together with someone in the room? Anybody go to the same coffee shop frequently? Okay, a few of you do, yeah. But, but it's like, but for the most part, when we walk out of here, we're going all different directions. We got people going back to University of Puget Sound. We got people going to grade schools and middle schools and high schools. We got workplaces represented throughout this community. We got moms that are out connecting with other moms. A lot of stuff is happening. And if it's just a bunch of attenders, then we get the occasional missionary that shows up. So Rick gets up today, and we're all happy that Rick had some cool God moments over there on his trip, and we're living vicariously through Rick and Marissa. It's like, no, I'm glad they're doing what they're doing, but who's coming in with next week's story? Who is coming in next week that you write down the block here Something happened, and you had an encounter. You met my buddy at the coffee shop who'd been doing a prayer walk around this place. You have some encounter this week that's like, wow, I am on the mission with Jesus. That shouldn't have happened. That relationship or that connection or that opportunity, that happened because I'm right here. And so when we're a church full of missionaries, the rest is just about geography because we're going to be sent. Where is it that we're going? Where is it that Jesus is inviting us to? You and I are God's plan A. That's got to be scary to him. Huh? Have you looked around the room? 
I have. I'm scared. I am completely scared. This is God's plan A. He has no plan B. So get used to it, folks. The invitation into his life is a plan A invitation. It wasn't like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I'm leaving. No, this was plan A. Third thought is this. Be a leader for Jesus shifts to becoming a follower of Jesus. See, we get in this mindset sometimes, and, and John 10, 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me just as my father knows me, and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that are not in, his, in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there'll be one flock with one shepherd. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. We've changed it sometimes to follow me as I lead for Christ. No, that's, that's not what this is about. There is one shepherd. Jesus needs each of us to accept the simple invitation to follow. See, any leadership that Jesus calls us to is, starts with following. I start by being a follower. Jesus said anyone who wants to be a leader in the kingdom of God must be what? A servant. I can be a servant. See, the leadership culture, how many people love the leadership, like reading about leadership? And Am I the only one? Okay, four of us. The rest of you need to get out a little bit more. There's just some stuff here. It's, I, I appreciate the leader. There's a wealth of wisdom. I'm reading a book right now that someone gave me, and it's like it's thick, so I've got to get through a little bit every day. It's just called like the, what is it called? It's called the, uh, something about the speed of trust. Very, very good book. I read a little bit this morning. Some of you maybe have read that. All that stuff is great. I love learning leadership skills to add value, but leadership is only a function. Leadership is not my identity. My identity is I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That becomes my identity. See, we don't, we don't lead for Jesus. We follow Jesus. And along the way, he gives us opportunities that, uh, that become very unique. I'm not an employee of Jesus. I'm his child. There's a big difference. You ever had your kids work for you? You ever turned your kids into employees? You have a different relationship with your child when they're your employee rather than you're, they're your child. And you're trying to wear two different hats. And it's like, oh, my wife's got family business, so her brothers and stuff worked for her dad at different times. So there's just that tension between child and employee. With Jesus, there's no tension because I'm his child. I am his child. I get to rest in the perfect love of my Father in heaven. I know that he delights in me. That is the true mission. Because people, people around me then get to see me live that out. They get to see the kind of joy and the kind of peace for people who come to into that relationship with Jesus. Our lives point people to Jesus. And when we follow him, we're much better at spreading the gospel because we become instantly more bolder and humbler at the same time. Bolder because the work of the cross is already completed and more humble because we recognize it's Christ's works. Leadership isn't conducive to either because when we're in a leadership, we're always wondering, am I doing okay? I'm always wondering, I'm always getting the feedback. I mean, if you work in a place that has constant feedback and evaluation, your, your performance is always being evaluated, and you're always being watched, and you're always being looked at. And if we're doing a good job, it's like we kind of can walk with a little swagger, and it, sometimes if we feel like we're doing a bad job, it's like, well, I don't know what to do with all this. 
But sometimes it's like we, we allow the weight of the gospel on our shoulders and we think we're strong enough to carry it. The weight of the gospel has always been on Jesus. He built his church and we point to him with our entire lives. And then the last thought is this. This invitation is reserved for religious professionals and it shifts to people on the mission with Jesus. First Peter says, for you are a chosen people, you're a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful life. You see, being on the mission with Jesus is completely different than being on the mission for Jesus. How many of you have ever worked for somebody? Anybody worked for somebody? How many of you ever worked with somebody? Do you know the difference? I got a job once. I just, the guy was just not that, I told him, I was leaving, and I'm like, here's the deal, man. You're, you're really a great guy. Working for you, I forget what word I used. It might have been the word sucks, but it may have been more politically correct. But whatever I said, I'm just like, you are a great guy, but working for you is awful. I don't mind working with you, but working, and so then all of a sudden he wants to change his whole mode of operation. He's like, no, really, really, I'll, I'll, I'll work harder that we can work together. I'm like, it's too, you can't do that. You don't even know how, because everybody in this organization works for you in your mind. They don't work with you. And, and sometimes when we get into this space, when we're on the mission with Jesus, we have to recognize that we're working with Jesus. We're not working for Jesus. We're working with him. See, there's a, there's a, working for him is exhausting because you'll feel totally awesome, like, man, Jesus, see everything I'm doing for you. Or you feel defeated. You're like, I'm this disciple who underperforms. I, have you met these people that knock on your door sometimes and they want to like tell you something about the good news of their, of their Jesus? It's like, what are they doing? They're out there because they're working for Jesus. They're like, how can I, I've got, I don't know if I've done enough yet. They keep time cards of all their efforts and energies. I'm for the effort and energy, but I'm not for the foundation that they put it under. They're, they've got their effort and energy mixed up because they're out there working for Jesus and they're not working with Jesus. See, see, I'm a, you know, you just, you, you got to get out of that mindset of like, I'm this disciple who underperforms. See, being on the mission with Jesus removes this, this, this tension that we have to prove ourselves. What are we proving? Jesus did all the work. He's inviting us. There's an invitation that he's giving to us. See, the problem with doing the mission for Jesus is simply this. You miss out on being with Jesus. You are so busy working for him that you miss out being with him. You ever been there before? Have you been in that space of like, I am so busy for Jesus and you miss out on the relationship. It's Martha versus Mary. You're the Martha. And it's like, Jesus like, hey, calm down. Just take a break here. I'm inviting you on this mission with me. I'm inviting you on this, on this adventure. And three, three simple words here, just as we wrap this up. As we're on this mission with Jesus, what does it look like? Well, first of all, it's incarnational. See, like Jesus, you and I live among people. Incarnational is just a fancy word to say we're in the flesh. Jesus came in an incarnational ministry and he left and he's like, I'm leaving, but I'm going to leave this with you. And so this incarnational ministry is there. 
and all of a sudden God has called you into that space. John 1.14 simply said, Jesus, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. You live in a neighborhood? Welcome to the mission. Welcome to the incarnational mission that Jesus has invited you to. Secondly, it's incremental. It's going to be a little at a time. There's just a little bit of take, live it out today. Where is it that Jesus is inviting you today to just step into that moment? Are you, are you starting that with that just that opportunity? And then that last one is simply just to be intentional. What would your day look like if you start each day by simply praying, God, help me to see the world as you see it. Help me to see what you're up to. Help me to listen to those around me. Give me the opportunity to share your love today. So you don't necessarily have to change your schedule to be on the mission with Jesus. You just have to change your perspective. You have to change your awareness. You have to, you have to do you read the life of Jesus in the Gospels. What did he do most of the time? Most of the time, the whole story is about him getting from point A to point B. And the, the, the stuff that happened was between A and B. It didn't change his schedule. He's still trying to get over to Capernaum or wherever he's heading. But along the way, some lady touches his garment and some guy's up in a tree and somebody's over here and something this happened and some kids are trying to run and grab a hold of him. All that's going on in the midst of him still living out his life. It wasn't like instead of his life, it was part of his life. And sometimes you and I are so caught up like I have got to get from point A to point B. Don't disturb me. How about this week you pray and you go a little slower between point A and point B? How about you allow Jesus in those moments and simply say, you know what, I've invited you on this mission. Will you accept the invitation? Uh, my son a while back posted this, my uh, son down in Oregon, posted this on his Facebook. I thought it was an interesting slant on, on life because he's, he's a funny kid. But uh, it says, a pastor came by my work today and we got to talking about church. And he asked if I went and I said yes. Later on it came up that my dad is a pastor. And so it's his dad and he said, so you don't feel called into ministry? I replied, I don't feel called to be a pastor, but I definitely feel called into ministry. You see, we see pastors once a week for an hour on a stage. You see coworkers 40 hours a week. You see your friends multiple hours a week. Who's gonna have a bigger impact on them than you? Pastors lead the pep rally once a week, and we have to go out there and play the game. What a good kid, huh? <laughs> no, but I mean, think about that. Think about what that looks like. This is the pep rally. We got a few people at the Seahawks rally today. That's okay. Jesus only had 12. We've exceeded that number this morning. And so we are in this space. You and I have the opportunity once again to reconnect ourselves to just that simple thought that Jesus invites you into the uncommon life. What would it look like for you today to follow Jesus into the uncommon life? That's the invitation. It's not to be, he said, take my yoke. I'm not going to wear you out. I'm inviting you, into, I'm inviting you into my life. And what does it look like this morning just to make that shift, just to say, you know what, Jesus? Today, I'm coming into your life. I'm thankful that we have this relationship, but when it's me inviting you into my life, it's way too small. I want to step into something bigger. I want to step into the life that you've invited me to, the life of what it looks like to be on this mission with Jesus, simply responding to those two words, follow me. Let's stand together. Thank you, thank you. And it's not even my mom. Wow. Thank you. My, my mom didn't even clap. Thank you. 
thank you. My mom's here. No clap from my mom, just you. So mom's letting me down this morning, but that's okay. Thank you. (laughs) Come on. Can we not have fun at church? Come on. This is, we're on a great mission that Jesus has invited us to. And this series, The Invitation, who is it that you're inviting? Who is it that you're inviting? This room should be full. We should fill it up a couple times just for fun. Because it's not about the people in the room. It's about the people outside of the room. We're here. We've, we're, we're, we're accepting the invitation to follow Jesus. Thank you. Jesus says, let's go. Let's go. He simply said, therefore go. But it's an as you go. And so we're going to be dismissed out of this place. I invite you this week to live out the mission that Jesus has for you. Make whatever shift you need to make to be a part of this mission. That's the invitation to follow Jesus into the uncommon life. Come on, let's come back with some stories next week. You catch me at the door. If it's a good one, we'll put you on the mic. If it's, if it's okay, we'll just celebrate together. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding, okay? But no, we're encouraged by that. Rick and Marissa back. It's like, great, I'm glad they had a story. Those were some great stories. I need a story this week. You need a story this week. Jesus is up to something. He's inviting you to be a part of it. Are you excited about that? Or is it just like, let's walk out to another dreary gray week? No, no, accept the invitation. Let's go. Come on, I want to hear some stories next week. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. And Lord, collectively, we want to accept that invitation to follow you. Maybe there's some people here today that this would be a first time to just simply say, yes, Jesus, I choose to follow you. Awesome. We all have to have a first time. But today, for many of us, it's not a first time. It's not a second time. But it's a time for us to reconnect and to recommit and to simply say, Jesus, I once again say yes to you and to your mission. My prayer, Jesus, as I step into this week, is that I'm going from place to place in the the spaces that you've put me in, that this week, Lord, I will have those moments where I know beyond any doubt that this is all about you, that your kingdom is coming, and I am a part of helping to share and to spread that great news of hope and encouragement and of healing. Lord, thank you for inviting each of us on your mission. And may we step into it this week in a fresh way, knowing that you're in charge and that we can accept the invitation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you guys have a great week, and uh, we will see you soon.